From everything we've heard, it sounds like Mike Elias and the Orioles are already starting to dive headfirst into the starting pitching market via free agency, as they should. But the question is, you know, what are the tiers of these guys that are available? And who could the Orioles bring in that would be their ace? There's the obvious guys like DeGrom and Verlander, but we'll talk about some other free agent pitchers who could come in and lead the Orioles pitching staff next season. That's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Friday, November 25th, 2022. And welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we're going to take a look at the free agent pitching market as a whole, specifically the starting pitchers who are out there. And we're going to run through some guys who could end up leading the Orioles staff this year if they bring them in. Of course, we'll talk about the big names like Jacob deGrom that are out there and if the Orioles could go after those guys here on a free agent Friday episode of the podcast. But also take a look at that second tier because if the Orioles play their cards right, if they get a couple of guys out of that second tier, if they do miss on those kind of ace tier free agents, they could get a good enough rotation where one of those guys kind of becomes their ace and the Orioles still could become a playoff team next year. And then we'll talk about some of the guys maybe in the third tier of starting pitchers who I wouldn't want the Orioles to sign as their ace, but guys who they bring in, you know, to be the three, four, or five would make them even better heading into next season. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast, which is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. So we're going to jump right into it. Hope you all had a happy Thanksgiving. Of course, no episode on Thursday, so you didn't miss anything. But make sure to go back and check out Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday episodes of the pod, breaking down the seasons for guys like Kyle Stowers and D.L. Hall in their rookie years in 2022. And talking about a little bit of Orioles news, checking in on the fact that they tendered all of their arbitration-eligible players, and I took a look at what the chances are the Orioles could bring in Cody Bellinger via free agency. That's all gone on this week here on the pod. But today, to finish out the week, it's a free agent Friday, and we're talking about free agent starting pitching because everything we have heard so far from national reporters and from local people as well is that the Orioles are already reaching out to pretty much most of the starting pitching free agents that are available this offseason. Now, a few of them have been signed already. We know Tyler Anderson went to the Angels, got Martin Perez going back to the Rangers, and Clayton Kershaw signing back with the Dodgers already, but still a lot of talented arms are still out there here early in free agency. We're not even at December. You know, we haven't even hit the winter meetings yet, which, you know, will last December 4th through 7th when really the moves are definitely going to start. Usually after Thanksgiving is when things start to pick up a little bit in the MLB offseason. But I wanted to take a look today at who out there could the Orioles bring in to be an ace? And let's start with the obvious ones. I think there are three names right now on the free agent pitching market that are easily the ace for pretty much almost any team in baseball. Now, you know, if the Mets bring in Verlander instead of DeGrom, is he the ace over Scherzer? Yeah, you know, maybe, maybe not. But for most teams, these guys are going to be the ace. And obviously the number one guy 
is Jacob deGrom, who I just mentioned. Of course, he's coming off a couple of seasons where he struggled with injury. You know, he only made 11 starts this year. Now, he had a great season, but only 11 starts. He was, like, historically dominant in 2021, but he only made 15 starts that year because of injury. And then, you know, he, he pitched a full season in 2020, but it was only 12 starts because of the 60-game season. So we haven't seen him pitch a full season since 2019. That's a little concerning, I will say. But when he's been on the mound, he's been the best starting pitcher in baseball. So I will still take Jacob deGrom at that point. You know, he's in his 30s, but he's still throwing 99 miles per hour with ridiculous stuff. Now, all these numbers I'm going to throw out today on the contracts are via John Becker and his free agent matrix. He does a great job working over at Roster Resource for fan graphs. And he kind of puts together all of the projections from every outlet for free agent contracts and then does a average contract, essentially, a median contract as well. And for Jacob deGrom, he's got three years, $135 million. That's a lot of money. That is uh, that is well over $40 million a year for Jacob deGrom. You know, you're looking at three years, 45 per year. But it'd be worth it to bring him in. But obviously... He's an ace. If the Orioles bring him in, he's their ace 100%. He's trying to lead them to the playoffs. And we've already seen, you know, guys like Jim Bowden mention, hey, maybe the Orioles could be a, a secret player. You know, you got that MLB executive burner account, which I don't always take everything they say word for word, but they did mention the Orioles and DeGrom in a tweet earlier this week. I think the Orioles are at least reaching out and, and seeing, you know, what he's thinking on in terms of if he just wants to sign with a true World Series contender or he's just going to go for the most money or what DeGrom's going to do. But... I don't think the Orioles are saying, ah, he's never going to sign here. I think they're at least doing their due diligence on Jacob deGrom. The second guy who would obviously be an easy ace is Justin Verlander. Now, I know, you know, he's about to be 40 years old pretty soon here, but he just won the AL Cy Young Award. Uh, the roster resource projection is a weird contract. Two years, $87 million is the projection. I mean, that's $43.5 million per year on a two-year deal. That's probably what Justin Verlander is going to sign. Something around two years, $80 million, to probably pitch maybe the final two years of his career and still try to pitch at that Cy Young level that we saw him with Houston this year. But again, easily, if the Orioles brought him in, he's healthy. He's back off Tommy John surgery again and winning a Cy Young award. He looks good to go. And then the last guy I would put in this category is Carlos Rodon. He's definitely a step down, certainly, from DeGrom and Verlander, but he's younger and so would probably get more of a long-term deal. Uh, the average deal from the projections comes out to be five years, $135 million. So on the average annual value scale, he would be a lot cheaper. You know, he's going to cost less than $30 million a year. He threw 178 innings this year in San Francisco, had a 288 ERA with 12 strikeouts per nine for the Giants, following up on an incredible 2021 back when he was with the White Sox. And yes, he's had his injury concerns in the past, but they really haven't come up over the last couple of years when he's been dominant. And... If you're looking for a guy who's a little bit cheaper and you can have for a little bit longer, I think Carlos Rodon is that guy and I think easily would be an ace for most teams he signed with. But I think you all listening kind of knew the answer to who the obvious ones are. It's those three. But coming up next, I wanted to dive into kind of that second group of starting pitchers. I'm going to talk about six guys who I think could be aces for this Orioles team, depending on how they pitch. And these should be the guys the Orioles go after. But if they sign just one of these guys, it might not be enough. And we'll talk about how they should approach it if they don't get DeGrom, Verlander, or Rodon. That's coming up next. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by BetOnline.net, your number one source 
for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis this fall because we've got everything going on right now in the world of sports. Of course, the World Cup is taking center stage at the moment. Games on, matches on every day, four per day at this point in the group stage. But then you look around, you realize, oh wait, there's still a full weekend of the NFL, the final weekend of college football in the regular season. A lot of things to be sorted out here on Saturday. Plus you got Feast Week, a huge week in college basketball, the NHL and the NBA going as well. And every line, all the odds, everything you need for the sports better is at betonline.net. If you love sports podcasts as well, which I hope you do if you listen to this one, you can find those at BetOnline as well, the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fixed. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more at BetOnline, where the game starts. So we're taking a look today on a Free Agent Friday episode of the podcast at all of the free agent starting pitchers who are available to the Orioles and taking a look at who could be the ace for this Orioles staff if they brought in a free agent? Now, we talked about easily, you know, Jacob deGrom, Justin Verlander, Carlos Rodon. All three of those guys would be an ace for most teams they sign with, including the Baltimore Orioles. But I want to now go to that next tier of pitchers out there because I think there's six guys out there below deGrom, Verlander, and Rodon who, if the Orioles do miss on one of those three big pitching free agents, that they could still bring in and still could pitch at the top of the rotation of a good team. Now, one thing I want to say is, if the Orioles bring in any of these six guys, they would need to supplement it. So whether they you know, sign one of these guys and then trade for another guy like a Pablo Lopez or even more of a mid-tier starter, or maybe they sign two of these guys I'm about to mention. I think that would be the best path. Or you know, one of these guys and maybe one from the lower group at the very least would make them better. But the grain of salt with these guys is I wouldn't just sign one of them and then just say, I'm done, that's my ace, let's go. I think if you sign two of them, and maybe put them one-two in the rotation, then Grayson Rodriguez, and then you fill it out with, you know, Dean Kramer, Kyle Bradish, you know, whomever, Tyler Wells, Austin Voth, whoever wins those final two spots, D.L. Hall, John Means when he comes back, then you've got a really, really good rotation. And the first guy on this list, I think, is Chris Bassett, 33-year-old right-hander, who the mean projection is a three-year, $60 million contract for him in free agency. $20 million per year, that should be easy for the Orioles to bring in. After you know having that scary injury in Oakland, but still putting up some great numbers, he signed with the Mets this year and threw 181 and two-thirds innings, had a 3.42 ERA with 8.3 strikeouts per nine on the year. His stuff at times wasn't as great as we saw it at times in Oakland, but he was still very, very good. And I think he helped to anchor the Mets rotation at times when both DeGrom and Scherzer were injured in New York this year. Bassett was very, very helpful early in the year, keeping the Mets afloat when those two guys were hurt before they came back. But I think for Bassett, you know, he's not your prototypical ace. And again, he's the oldest of this group of guys I'm going to talk about. You know, he's 33 years old. But I think on a three-year deal, you're still going to get really good production out of him. And again, if you put him one-two with another one of these guys, I think you feel really good about Chris Bassett. You know, he's been there. He's done that. You know, he's a little bit more of a late bloomer in his career. Kind of got a lot better later with Oakland before going to the Mets. But opted out of his deal. Clearly wants more money. And I'm not sure New York is looking to bring him back. I think they're aiming higher with, you know, either bringing DeGrom back or maybe going to get Verlander and someone else via trade. So I think Bassett could certainly be out there for the Orioles. Next guy I would put in this list, and I think could get some pushback on this, is Sean Manaya. Now, I know Sean Manaya was not very good in San Diego this year, and the projection is only for a two-year, $24 million contract. That should be an easy contract for the Orioles to give out. But the 30-year-old lefty, he was great at times in Oakland. 
I personally think he looked like an ace for long stretches when he was pitching for the Athletics. Now, they traded him to the Padres. He throws 158 innings, and he has a 4.96 ERA this year in San Diego. I get that. But he's still 30. He's still got great stuff, you know, mid to high 90s fastball from the left side with a, a wipeout slider and a good changeup to go with it. He did make 32 starts and have a 391 ERA in 2021. So he was much, much better the year before. I still think he's got ace stuff. And if all things work out, he can get back to being a number one pitcher. And again, if you maybe sign Bassett and Manaya, I think that's a good top two in the rotation to go into 2023 with. But the other four guys I'll mention, I think more people are probably in agreement that they could be aces. Nathan Eovaldi is the next guy. I have a feeling the Red Sox are going to find a way to get him back to Boston. But the 32-year-old Eovaldi, who's had two Tommy John surgeries already and did miss some time this year with injury. Now, the average contract prediction comes out to three years, $42 million. Again, very doable for the Orioles, $14 million per year. Now, he only threw 109 innings this year, but... He did have a 3.87 ERA, but he threw a full season in 2021, had a 3.75 ERA. He was an all-star last year with Boston, still throwing hard from the right side despite the two arm surgeries. I think he still got good stuff. Yeah, the injury this year, a little bit concerning, but he's been generally healthy since the last Tommy John, and I would certainly take him on that small of a deal. Next guy who I think has been connected to the Orioles the most out of these six guys, and I think you know, most predictions have sent him to Baltimore. Orioles fans, I think, are warming up to him. Is Jamison Tyon, 31-year-old righty who pitched with the Yankees the last couple of years. The projection is a three-year, $43.5 million deal. So essentially the same price as Nathan Eovaldi. And he did have a, a pretty similar season to Eovaldi, but was much more durable. Tyon threw 177 and a third innings this year for the Yankees. Did have a 3.91 ERA, so he wasn't amazing, but he did get kind of unlucky and his FIP was lower, so he maybe should have had a better season with the Yankees. I think he's just a steady presence to have at the top. There was definitely a time when he was pitching for Pittsburgh before you know he had his injury history and then, you know of course, had other health concerns as well, where he looked like he was going to be a future true top-of-the-rotation ace. But again, maybe if you went and got Tyone and Eovaldi, I think that's a solid enough one-two to have. And then the last two guys are maybe a little more of wild cards for certain reasons. The first guy would be Kodai Senga, who's coming over from Japan this year, 29-year-old righty. The projection average is four years, $72 million, so a little bit more expensive. But, I mean, he's been absolutely dominant in the MPB in Japan. Again, widely known as the second-best professional baseball league in the world behind Major League Baseball and known to be kind of a talent level between AAA and the majors. 148 innings in Japan this year, a 2.25 ERA, 10 strikeouts and three walks per nine. Devastating splitter, good fastball, solid breaking stuff. And he's only 29 years old. He is the youngest of this six-guy group that I'm talking about. He's the youngest pitcher of anybody I've mentioned so far, so that's something to go after. And is it a risk to you know bring over a guy who's never pitched in Major League Baseball? Of course it is, but the stuff is so good, I think, Plenty of people agree that it's going to play in the majors and he could have a great, great career over here. And I think it'd be a great way for the Orioles to get back into kind of the bigger time international market and go after a guy like Senga. I think he could be a true ace. He might have the highest upside of all six of these guys in this group. And then the last guy I had a little trouble putting into this list. I actually almost put him into the third tier, but decided to mention him just because the numbers were good enough this year. And that's Taiwan Walker 
who's had such an interesting career. You know, he's been traded multiple times, multiple different teams. He's certainly had his injury history. But this year with the Mets, he was just solid. And kind of like I talked about with Chris Bassett, just helped keep the Mets afloat when DeGrom and Scherzer were out. The 30-year-old righty projected to get three years, $45 million in free agency. Certainly doable for the Orioles. And listen, he didn't pitch every five days all year, but 157 and a third innings, he had a 3.49 ERA with the Mets this year. I mean, the stuff isn't amazing, and the strikeout numbers are down for Walker, but he doesn't really walk anybody, which is good. He's a strike thrower. His delivery is kind of odd. Looks like he's almost standing straight up the entire time, but the stuff is still good enough. And again, with Walker, like if you added Walker and Senga, maybe that's a good one-two punch to have at the top of the rotation. But again, remember, these are not guys who I would say, hey, if the Orioles get one of them, you're done signing pitching for the offseason. No, no, no. You get one of these guys, and then you either sign another one of the guys from this group, or you go make that trade for Pablo Lopez or whoever it might be, and that becomes a really good one-two punch. Now, if you could get Rodon and Tyone, well, that's great. Then you've got legitimate one and a legitimate two to go into your rotation. I don't know if the O's are going to do that, at least this offseason, but I think two guys from this group wouldn't be the same production as getting DeGrom or Verlander, certainly, but I think it could fit enough when you add in, again, Grayson Rodriguez, Dean Kramer, you know, Tyler Wells, Kyle Bradish, whoever it is at the end of the rotation behind them, that the Orioles certainly can compete for the playoffs in 2023. But there's one more group of pitchers I wanted to talk about before we get going today, and that's kind of the third tier of guys, the guys who certainly you're not going to try to sign as your number one and certainly should not be the only pitcher you bring in free, via free agency, but guys who, if they pitch at their peak, could kind of be surprise candidates to be one of your best pitchers and could kind of be the buy low and really get a huge payoff in the 2023 season. We'll talk about those six guys coming up after this. So to finish off today's Free Agent Friday episode, talking about starting pitchers, I wanted to talk about the Tier 3 guys that are out there for the Orioles. Six guys who are certainly not aces at this point. Should certainly not be guys you sign and start on opening day. But if you bring them in to be your number 3, maybe number 4, even if it gets really good, your number 5 starter for next year, I think you're in a pretty good spot. And these are guys who, you know, say the Orioles got Verlander or got Rodon. Maybe this is one of these guys is the other guy you bring in in free agency. You go with, okay, Rodon at the top, then we're going Grayson Rodriguez, then we're going Dean Kramer, then we're filling in this free agent, and then we're going with Kyle Bradish, and that's our rotation for next year. I think that would be a good offseason plan as well. And the first guy on that list is Zach Eflin. Now, I know this is an interesting choice because the last time we saw Eflin, he was pitching out of the bullpen for the Phillies in the playoffs. He only threw 75 and two-thirds innings this year because of some injury issues, but he made 13 starts and 20 appearances overall in the regular season, and then he was a full-time reliever in the postseason and actually became one of the Phillies' go-to guys in the bullpen. Now, the right-hander is only 28 years old. He's actually the youngest of all the guys we're going to talk about on today's episode, and the projection is three years, $27 million for him in free agency. At $9 million a year, even if he just becomes a good reliever, $9 million a year, you will take that, but there's still the upside at 28 of him being a solid starter. He had a 404 ERA in those 75 and two-thirds innings he pitched in the regular season with the Phillies, and a lot of that was as a starting pitcher. Now, he doesn't have the stuff he did when he first came up, and the Phillies thought he could be a top-of-the-rotation guy. But if he ends up being your five-starter, I think you're still in a good position. And at worst, 
he moves back into a bullpen role and, you know, maybe you put Austin Voth or DL Hall into the bullpen, well, you move them back into the rotation if you think they become a better option than a Zach Eflin. Maybe the most interesting guy out of this list, though, is Andrew Haney, the 31-year-old left-hander who had a resurgent year with the Dodgers this season. He had pitched with the Angels, and there was always some solid stuff, but just, you know, he's given up too many homers, and it didn't look like it was there, and he had this injury history. Well, he goes to the Dodgers, and of course, what do they do? Revamp his career. Now, he wasn't without injury. He missed a large chunk of this season with injury, but when he was on the mound, he was dominant. 72 and two-thirds innings. He had a 3.10 ERA and 13.6 Ks per nine for Andrew Haney. I believe that would have led baseball had he been qualified, but he was just so injured that you know he only pitched around 70 innings. But the fastball up in the zone was dominant with a great breaking ball. The Dodgers seemed to find something that could fix him. Now, if the Orioles are confident he can stay healthy enough to throw maybe 130 innings instead of 72 innings, the projection of two years, 25 million, I think would be an easy go for the Orioles to get him if they think he can stay healthy. You know, to help for a left-hander with a new wall in left field to be better at Camden Yards. I think it'd be a great, great pickup for kind of the back part of the rotation. But another lefty I wanted to mention is Jose Quintana, who kind of turned his career back around this season. The 32-year-old lefty projected for two years, 25 million as well. He did three bad years in a row, you know, after he was pitching for the Cubs and the White Sox and the stuff just was not there the last few years after he had a really great start to his career, you know, back in the mid-2010s. But he just turned it back around this year. He signed with the Pirates. He was dominant. They dealt him to the Cardinals at the deadline. He continued to pitch well for St. Louis down the stretch, helped them win the division. Quintana had a 2.93 ERA in about 166 innings in the big leagues this year. That was one of the best numbers of any pitcher in all of Major League Baseball. And again, he's still only 32, so he still has some good years ahead of him. And if the Orioles think this is more of the Quintana they'll get years down the road for two years, $25 million, I would easily pull the trigger on Jose Quintana, bring him in, you know, get him at the end of the rotation and go. I mean, he's not throwing 95, 96 from the left side, but it's still good stuff that's getting guys out. And you put a good defense behind him like he had in St. Louis. That's what the Orioles have, and he becomes an even better pitcher. So I'd certainly take him at the back of the rotation. Other guys, Noah Syndergaard. Of course, we saw him in the World Series with the Phillies, now 30 years old, the right-hander, projected for a two-year, $24 million contract. Had a 3.94 ERA in 135 innings between the Angels and then was traded to the Phillies at the deadline this year. Only about 6 Ks per 9. He was coming back from the Tommy John, his first full season. He stayed relatively healthy off the Tommy John this year when he came back, but the stuff was not even close to the stuff we saw at like peak Cindergard with the Mets. Fastball velocity is down. He's just throwing a lot of strikes. He's not really walking guys, and he's getting soft contact. I don't know if he's ever going to be the strikeout pitcher he was for the Mets, but I think he's a good number four, number five. The only issue with Syndergaard is you want to bring in guys who you can trust in the postseason, and we never really saw Syndergaard get through like more than three innings in a postseason start this year for the Phillies. That's a little concerning, but if he's your number five guy, you certainly take that next year. Ross Stripling is another guy who I've mentioned on the podcast before, projected for two years $23 million, a 32-year-old right-hander who, again, had a kind of resurgent year in 2022 in 134 innings with the Blue Jays. He had a 3.01 ERA, pitched mostly as a starter, but they kind of kept moving him back and forth between the bullpen 
and the rotation. It was also because Yusei Kikuchi was struggling so much that him and Stripling were kind of flipping back and forth between kind of long man slash swing man out of the pen and then, you know, number four or five starter for the Blue Jays. But in either role, he pitched well. He's got that great changeup, the big overhand curveball, and his slider's getting much, much better. I like the stuff from Stripling. I think he's a great add to the back end of the rotation. And then the last guy is Michael Waka, another guy who just brought it all back this year. He's only 31 years old, the right-hander, and the projection is only two years, $16 million for Waka. I think that'd be an easy choice for the Orioles to sign. He dominated the Orioles multiple times this year when pitching for the Red Sox. Now, again, a little bit of injury struggles this year, so he only pitched 127 innings, but after having a 5-plus ERA with the Rays in 2021, Waka had a 3-3-2 ERA with Boston in 2022. That changeup looks back to what it was like early in his career with St. Louis when he was a dominant young pitcher for the Cardinals, helping them in the playoffs every year. He looked most similar to that pitcher in a while this year. So I would take the chance to put him at number four or number five, especially for $8 million a year, and just let him go get it with that fastball changeup combination. I think all six of these guys I just mentioned, definitely good options for the back end of the rotation but you have to have another option coming in via either free agency or via trade. It can't just be, hey, I'm going to go get Jose Quintana and that's going to be my offseason. No, that's not going to cut it because I honestly think even if you just went and got Chris Bassett or you just went and got Nathan Eovaldi, I don't even think that's good enough for the offseason for pitching. you got to get at least two of these guys on this list. Hopefully a guy from Tier 1 and then maybe a guy from Tier 3. Maybe two guys from Tier 2 would be okay. But the O's have to add starting pitching. And I know, you know, they could put together a rotation of five guys. You know, Grayson Rodriguez, Dean Kramer, Tyler Wells, Kyle Bradish, and Austin Voth. Even throw D.L. Hall in there. And John Means will be back midseason. I get that seven starters that you feel like you trust. But it's only been one season from Kyle Bradish. And he was bad for a while this year. It's only been one season as a starter for Tyler Wells. And he broke down injury-wise at the end of the year. It's only been one good season for Dean Kramer. He was terrible the year before. We've never seen Grayson Rodriguez pitch in a big league game. We've only seen D.L. Hall make one big league start. We've only seen a half season of Austin Voth after being terrible with the Nats, and although the O's fixed him, he never really pitched past five innings anyway, even when he was pitching well with the Orioles. So all seven of those guys, although you feel like you can trust them somewhat, and John Means, he won't be back till June or July, and he's coming off Tommy John surgery, so you just don't know what he's going to be. So yeah, all seven of those guys have their pluses, but... They also have their cons, and they all have question marks with them, which is why you need to add not just one, but two or maybe even more starting pitchers, whether it be via free agency or trade this offseason. And hopefully, now that we're past Thanksgiving, we're getting closer and closer to the winter meetings. The Orioles start to be a little bit more active this offseason, and hopefully the liftoff does start to commence. But when it does, I'll have it all covered here on the podcast. We'll take a break for the weekend here, but... We'll be back on Monday with a Mailbag Monday episode of the podcast. To get your questions in, you can email the pod at LockedOnOrioles at gmail.com to send in your questions. You can leave a question in the review section on Apple Podcasts when you rate and review the podcast. You can leave a question on our Locked On Orioles YouTube page. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Of course, if you comment a question on a YouTube video, we will answer it as well. And you can leave your mailbag questions on Twitter. You can tweet them to at LockedOnOrioles on Twitter, or you can DM the account. DMs are open as well for all of your Orioles mailbag questions, and they will be answered when we return on Monday for a Mailbag Monday episode. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.